Welcome to Elevate. I'm so happy you're here with me today, and I cannot wait to share this episode with you. As an evidence-based coach, mentor, and entrepreneur, I'm obsessed with learning and personal development as it's transformed my entire life, as well as those I get to work with. And to be quite frank, it's literally the entire reason this podcast exists, to feel your growth, gain perspective, and acquire knowledge. So buckle up, friends. You're in for a treat. And as always, thank you for supporting me and the show so we can continue to elevate our own lives as well as those you share this with. Now, let's get into it. What is going on, guys? And welcome back to another episode of Elevate. So today I have Miss Addison Barnhart on, and she is a force to be reckoned with. I love the conversations that I have with this girl. She is so passionate about helping people kind of break free from diet culture. And she is a dietitian, but She's almost anti-diet dietitian um, in spirit. So Addison, for those who are not familiar with you, uh, please take a moment to introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about your background and how you got to doing what you do now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on your podcast again. I think this is our second one, right? So, so excited. Um, But yeah, so I am a dietitian and, you know, like Kate said, I I'm a non-diet dietitian, which is wild because that word diet is in my professional name. But yeah, I help people essentially stop dieting, stop tracking macros. And the reason that I do that is because I personally have been stuck in that never-ending diet cycle as well. And I was a professional bodybuilder. Before that, I was an athlete. I was a gymnast, always concerned about the way I looked, my health, those kinds of things. And I really just after, you know, some time spent tracking and dieting and doing all the things, being so concerned about the way that my body looked, I realized that there really is so much more to life and you don't have to be so strict with your food and exercise routine in order to be the healthiest, happiest version of yourself. So that's why I do what I do. So I want to dive into this because I know even people that I work with, right, they struggle so much with the concept of letting go, mm-hmm. right? Let go of tracking, let go of meticulously, neurotically measuring everything to the gram and go out and eat something without worrying about all of the calories that might be in it. And so how do you take someone who's like super type A, knows Mm. that they have a problem, so they're problem aware, but they don't want to let go of Mm. the tracking. They fear to the core of their being that they are going to blow up like a whale and they cannot fathom that outcome being anything of any potential. And so they they execute control over everything, especially their food and their exercise. And I'm sure that you see most women come to you with both kind of driving their day-to-day, their lives. It gives them anxiety to not work out. It gives them anxiety to not do their cardio or get their steps or track all their food. So how do you take somebody like that and help them shift their mindset, shift their frame of reference and shift their belief system to be able to let go and fully be present in their life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good question. It It is hard. I will say, I think that every woman that I have worked with will say that this journey to letting go is harder than continuing to diet forever in the short term, in the long term, if you, you know, want to do the hard thing, continue to diet forever. I think that, you know, it is, 
it's a hard journey, but it is, you do get through it and there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Now, I think the biggest thing, I don't know, I think there's so many different parts here. There's so many different ways to go about this and so many moving parts, so many different things. I mean, it takes a lot of time, a long time. You have to have patience because essentially what you're doing is rewiring your neural pathways to think a different way about food. I think a big part of the work I do with my girls is breaking down these limiting beliefs that are keeping them stuck. I mean, everything you said, you feel like you're going to blow up like a whale. That is a limiting belief. All of these limiting beliefs that my girls have, that's where we start. We start to break them down. What are your fears about going through this journey? And then working through those to then find this place of freedom. Because I, this is off topic, but actually something that I've done in my personal life lately is no longer doing anything out of fear. Like I am no longer doing anything out of fear. And if you're fearful of kind of, if you're not doing this journey because you're fearful of the outcome or gaining weight, or you're just afraid of what's going to happen, like do it anyway, you know, do things that scare you. Don't not do things because they scare you, you know? So I think, I know that was kind of off topic, but that's a big thing is kind of just jumping head first, jumping into the water, doing the thing and giving yourself a lot of time and grace and compassion and realizing that none of this is going to happen overnight. I mean, it's going to take a month to years to really work through changing your mindset around food, around exercise, but it is absolutely possible. And Sorry, my dog was trying to open the you door. Just open the door. Yeah. yeah she's crazy. And it, it is possible. And when you do get there, you're going to see this. You're going to wonder why you didn't do it sooner. So if it scares you, jump in and do it. So I love that because one thing that I've re reprogrammed. So we do similar things, um, which I really like, but we look at it we apply the principle through a different lens, which I think is really fascinating, right? So for me, right, one of the first foundational things that I'll do with people that are actually afraid to commit to prioritizing themselves and their health is break down the fears that have prevented them from doing it, right? Because mm -hmm. you cannot overcome a fear if you refuse to acknowledge that it exists. So first mm -hmm. we have to bring it to light, right? And then we have to go, okay, well, what is the lowest level of exposure that I can give this person right. regarding this fear that will allow them to face it and break the belief that it's catastrophic, Right? right. And so that's kind of how I approach that. But for me personally, one thing that you said is actually something that I kind of live my life by now is yeah. whenever I I've reprogrammed what fear means. Yes. And so for me, like whenever I feel fearful, I tell myself I need to act on it. Right. And so I get more excited about the uncertainty, but the opportunity to learn yeah. something about myself by experiencing this thing that internally I would have previously registered as fear. I now yeah. see as an opportunity for exploration, right? right. And I do the same thing with comfort, right? So if mm -hmm. something feels comfortable to me, do it's it. almost like a red flag. It's yeah. like, I'm being complacent, right? This is comfortable. And oftentimes mm -hmm. when we are overly stressed or emotionally distraught, right? We tend to lean into things that are comfortable, right? right. Which tend to be self-sabotaging in nature or preventing us from going in the direction in which we want to travel. So for example, people that struggle to let go of tracking when they feel overwhelmed or stressed and they want to exert that control might mm -hmm. go back to, oh, well, I had to track or, oh, I felt like I needed to track that. Or I made sure to track this week because I just, I couldn't manage all of the other chaos that I'm trying yeah. to exert control over. 
but this is the one thing that I can. And so my curiosity is how frequently does that happen? Especially initially, I have a feeling that people really struggle to just cut it cold Turkey. Yeah. And wait, before we get into that, yes, I 100% agree with you. And I think I said, I like, don't do anything out of fear. Like when I meet, when I say that, it's like, I don't let fear stop me from doing things. So if I'm afraid to do it, or, you know, if my girls are afraid to do it, we make sure that's something that we're doing and make sure that's something we're working on. It's kind of like, okay, no more doing things just because that's what makes you safe anyway. But how often does it happen when my girls go back to tracking is what you're saying? Yeah. Or how often do they feel the fear? Let's say like, so I assume they probably track their weight, right? And once you start to open up flexibility, especially if the context of this individual is that they are probably on the leaner side, they probably need to gain weight, but they probably fear and have some body dysmorphia around that item, right? So it's like, I know I need to let go. I know this is impacting my ability to be present and experience my life. I know that I don't go to social events and actually talk to people. I'm thinking about what's being served or what's going to have for dessert. And can I eat it? Or should I take it home? Or is it bad for me to do this? Like, so all of their thoughts subconsciously. And I know I work with a lot of women who struggle to be present in any type of social gathering because it's the one time that they are in an environment where the foods that they've told themselves they cannot have and that are Mm -hmm. bad for them are present. And so they hyper-focus on that. Just like you tell a child they can't have something or do something, right? right? They want that more and they focus on it more. And so when you have clients that maybe get into trying to be more flexible and giving themselves permission to do that, if indeed the scale goes up, for example, and then they have a panic attack, do they go back to tracking? I would assume that they try to course correct because they feel like they've taken a step backwards mm-hmm. or they're doing something negative. And so mm-hmm. I would assume or speculate a, a, a little bit that they would go back to trying to exert some level of control. Yeah. So a couple of things here. One of the first things that I have my girls to do is getting rid of the scale mm. because we don't need that trigger to go back to tracking. So all of the things that trigger my girls who want to go back to tracking, we try to do away with, and the scale is a big one, just like you said, you know, if they gain weight and they see that number, they're going to want to go back. So we try to get rid of that. Now there are other triggers seeing themselves at a certain angle in the mirror, or, you know, having to size up in clothing. Like there are other triggers that aren't as easy to kind of disregard like the scale is the scale is pretty easy to just be like okay I'm not weighing myself I'm throwing the scale away now I do have girls sometimes probably honestly every one of my girls maybe like 99% of my girls will at some point in their journey weigh themselves again which will then trigger themselves to go back to tracking yes um but I would say that's one time during the time we work together now specifically with tracking everyone is very different. So I know you had mentioned kind of going cold Turkey with not tracking anymore. Um, some people can do that. Some people can't, and that's okay. So really what I chat with my girls about in our first couple of calls is if they are tracking is like, what is, you know, the course of action you want to take with this? Is it, you know, going cold Turkey and just saying like, kind of going more of an all-in route, or is it slowly kind of coming away from tracking? So, and that really depends on if they're still tracking when they come to me, if they are still tracking when they come to me and they come to me at like a very low amount of food, then I will encourage them to 
quickly get their food up by still tracking because that's not going to be as overwhelming as just letting it go, but it's going to allow them to still move forward. So exposing themselves to a little bit of fear by, you know, eating a bit more, but not so much fear by having no structure. So I like to start to slowly get rid of the structure, not just take all of the structure away. But again, some of my girls, and this is where it's very individualized, my coaching, like some of my girls will want to just get rid of it and kind of have to get rid of it. And if they don't just get rid of it right away, that's when things can end up getting worse. So really depends on the person because everybody's journey is so different with food. Even if all of my clients do diet or do track macros, everyone's mindset around food is still very different. So really individualizing their journey to them is important. So what would you say, like, as far as the core message of what you aim to deliver for people, I know that you talk about food freedom and I guess like even from an observational standpoint, right. Um, even in my own initial, like removing tracking and like focusing Mm -hmm. on how I feel versus how I look and like what, how much I weigh and like all of that. Right. Um, how, I guess the expectation or the bigger fear is for people that look at you or people who might look at me, Mm -hmm. right. And say, well, you're just genetically gifted, right. If I give up tracking, if I give up trying to to diet, like I'm just going to blow up. I don't, I'm not built like that. I don't, I can't live Mm -hmm. like that. Right. So, um, how do you speak to somebody who feels that way? How do you speak to somebody who just feels like you're just genetically blessed and you just naturally have the body that can have a high metabolism and eat what you want and all those things. And it's too good to be true for me. Right. What do you say to that person? Yeah. And that is a lot of belief that smaller bodies are better and bigger bodies are bad. So diving into those societal beliefs. And I think that it's important to recognize that I do live in a smaller, more socially acceptable body. And at times I even wish that I didn't because Mm. it would be a lot easier for me to do the work that I do and relate to my clients better. Um, But I am not... I guess you could even say like, I wish the opposite. Like I'm not genetically blessed in a bigger body and I can't do the work that I want to do in that kind of way because I do live in a smaller body, but I can still do the work that I can do. And I don't think that your body size should, you know, matter in this work, you know, because at the end of the day, your end result is not about the way that your body looks. And that's what we're getting away from. And that is the hardest part. And I think that's where a lot of people who kind of go through this journey struggle the most is like, okay, let's have food freedom, but we're still so focused on the way that we look and I have to end up in a smaller body. And this only works if I end up in a smaller body. That's not the case. You are not doing this journey. You're not on this journey to have this dream body and have food freedom. You're on this journey to have food freedom and live the life you want to live and understand that your body doesn't take away from the life that you want to live. doesn't matter what you look like. It matters how like your health mentally, physically, emotionally, all of those things. So I feel as though this is a very difficult battle for you to face. And Mm -hmm. while I agree with you on the majority of it, what I can, what I can assess from my own even experience of you saying these things is like, 
it's very difficult not to focus on feeling like your worth or your value comes mm. from your body because in society, I mean, everything now is social media. Everything now is marketing and it is people in your face every day with makeup, with filters, with video editing, with photo edit, Photoshop, like even women who look incredible, you know, mm-hmm. still do and engage with these types of things. And so when it's constantly a stimulus, that's almost thrown down your throat on a daily basis. Like, how do you let that go? Because even for me, like I, I still know, like, I don't love my current body composition. Mm -hmm. I will be very honest about that, but I wouldn't trade that for the peace of mind that I have, the flexibility that I have, the freedom to go and experience things and not worry about things that I used to focus on so Mm -hmm. neurotically that prevented me from really experiencing fulfillment with relationships or experiences and just being present. And Mm -hmm. I think that is worth the trade-off for me Mm -hmm. in particular. Yes, I do have still like body composition goals and I do still almost wish that I looked a certain way. Mm -hmm. But even when I feel that way or have those thoughts, I just remind myself of how I used to feel and how my life was dictated by my cardio and my, my exercise. And then my tracking and weighing everything to the 0.1 gram and like all of those things and ab checking and making sure I looked like the fit person that's running a fitness business. And, um, while I'm still incredibly fit relative to the majority of people, I do think that once you've been on one side of the extreme, it's very difficult to see yourself come back to balance because mm-hmm. for me, I can acknowledge that my perception of my body composition is forever skewed as to yeah. what my fit body looks like, mm-hmm. even though relative to any objective eye, I'm probably still very fit as a female individual. So how do you help people or, or what do you tell people that are like, I get what you're saying and I agree with what you're saying, but this conditioning and this mm-hmm. messaging and this societal and cultural belief is so deeply ingrained that it's very hard to break away from the impulse to well, I'll be more valuable if I'm thinner or I'll be more attractive if I'm thinner or I'll be you know, mm-hmm. re- more respected if I'm thinner. And, and all of these things that we do see, people kind of attack people or call them names or lazy or label them in certain mm-hmm. ways if they appear to be one side of the coin. And then we almost celebrate the extreme on the other side. And so that is a difficult complex to try to break down and almost remove from the belief system that somebody has, because even though, like I said, I can work through that frame in my own mind and, and control my impulses to reach out and get a little bit more extreme, like I have been in the past. I don't know that everybody has that ability to be that aware. And I know many, 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 many women of all different ages and demographics will do extremely stupid shit to try to achieve an aesthetic look because they believe inherently it will make them it will make them worthy. It will make them good enough. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you break that conversation down? Yeah. Lots of things. I, my mind is like running in circles because this is something that I do talk with my clients about all day. And I'm sure that, you know, not all my thoughts are going to come out on this one because it's so complex, but you know, I think you are in control of what you see and you're not in control of what you see. I think that there's two sides here. And I think that a big part of this conversation is making sure that you 
are filtering what you see. And another side of the coin is making sure that you're learning how to address the triggers and why you're triggered by the things that you do see. So if your social media feed is all, you know, what I eat in a day videos with physique pictures and bodybuilders and super lean people, that's what you're going to want to achieve. Now, if you filter that out, you unfollow, you mute, you click not interested on the explore page, and you start to follow things that don't have to do with that, you're not going to see those messages all the time. And now on the other side of the coin, you can't filter everything and you are going to every once in a while see these things that make you want to go back or miss your smaller body or whatever it may be, whether that be on social media or even in real life. Let's say you're, I mean, you know, at the grocery stores, they always have these magazines that's like lose 10 pounds in 10 days or something stupid like that. But anyway, you're going to see things or maybe I actually had a client message me the other day about her friend's wedding and like her friend who's always been a trigger for her. So you're also going to have, and she, that made her want to diet again. So you're always going to have these things in your life. It's about what support do you have to overcome these triggers, these events? And eventually it is going to become like second nature. Like you're going to have that trigger and you're going to be like, yeah, that doesn't serve me. That's not what I want to do. This isn't the life that I want to live. Um, so I think a big, big part of it is like, what are you looking at? What, because Yes, that's a big part of society, but I also think society is changing and, you know, social media is a place that you can control. Like you can control a lot of what you see on social media. And if you make it a safe place and you get rid of those things that are triggering you, you're going to have a much easier time dealing with those triggers. Yeah. And I fully, I fully agree with that. I tell people a lot that the way that the algorithm works, it actually shows you more content based on what you engage with. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you are constantly following those types of accounts or engaging with those types of posts, well, it's going to curate on your feed, not because the algorithm is out to get you or give you like mental Mm -hmm. health issues, but because that's what you're choosing to engage with. Right. And so I think that that is absolutely a fundamental truth when it comes down to using things um, as far as social media is concerned, but even on a broader spectrum, you, you watch a TV show and you see ads, you watch the bachelorette and they're always thin. They're always dressed up. They're always glam. Right. So it's embedded into a lot of the messaging. I would say Um, Mm -hmm. you're never going to get rid of the Kardashians, right. You're never going to get rid of um, the event galas and the majority of what is seen in um, like the movie industry or the actress industry or music. I mean, a lot of that stuff, while there are some people that are presenting a different angle of that, but I also think it's important to consider that there are extremes on both sides, Mm -hmm. right? Because I am very pro, you should feel confident and comfortable in your own skin. And I do not think that any extreme on either side that makes you sacrifice quality of life to achieve that outcome is worth it. Mm -hmm. But I also see like on the other side, there are people that are very body positive that are almost extremist on gaining Mm. superfluous amounts of of weight, right? And that's kind of becoming a shiny object for people. And Mm so my, my, what I don't want to see is a dichotomy that is extreme on both sides, right? There is health that is in the middle and not one is better than the other, but I think it's difficult to push body positivity without people having the assumption that you are pro unhealth in some way, shape or form, right? Cause it's like, well, you don't have to diet 
But sometimes people in the mindset of, I don't want to diet. I, I know that that's hard. I don't want to give up. Maybe they have relationship with food issues where they, I mean, food addiction is a real thing. And so it's like, they ideally would prioritize their health, not to be skinny, but to be healthier and live longer and have a better quality of life. Right. That's really what we're getting after is the longevity and freedom piece. Um, so how do you, how do you cater your message to be pro body positivity, to be pro letting go, especially again, if the people that I would assume the majority of people that you work with are people that indeed have a very strict regimented and have dieted and are on the, the smaller side of the spectrum. Um, but if somebody were to get to your page and, and view your message that was on the other side of the spectrum, right? How, how would you, or where do you, where's your stance on that? I guess at first I should clarify that. And then how would you, how would you want your message to be truly, um, perceived from somebody else as an outsider that might be like, oh, well, this person's just pushing, you know, obesity and food freedom mm-hmm. and body positivity, but that's also unhealthy. So how do you, how do you anchor that? How do you cater that? And what, what truly do you believe about those ideas? Yeah. So I actually loaded question, loaded question. So may need to back up after I um, speak on this, but I don't necessarily believe in body positivity. I think that if you can achieve body positivity, that's great. But I think that that's almost unattainable in today's society, just based on the cultural beliefs that we have, you know? So if you can get to a place of body acceptance and hang out there, that's great. I do think that body positivity is achievable. I feel as though I have personally achieved body positivity on most days. Here's the thing is like, even when you get to this place of like, okay, I feel great in my skin by not dieting and by truly just focusing on healthy habits, living a healthy lifestyle, whatever it may be, you're still going to have bad body image days. So the reason I don't love body positivity is because if you have one day, I don't want my girls to feel like a failure. Now I do mention body positivity. And like I said, I think it's great if you have a positive body image day, that's wonderful. Um, but I think that again, there are going to be triggers in society that don't make you feel so great about your body. I think the body positivity movement isn't, I think it's been twisted into this, like promoting obesity kind of thing. And I believe that body positivity isn't promoting obesity. It's more so saying like, I don't have to change my body to fit into society or to be worthy of love or happiness or success or whatever it may be. I'm worthy of those things just because I am here and I am human and I am me. So your body doesn't determine your self-worth. And I think that goes for like body acceptance, body positivity, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I never had like a toxic viewpoint of body positivity because I never looked at it as this thing of like, it's, it's not really in my mind, it's not really about loving the way that your body looks. It's being grateful and accepting towards having a body because you are human, no matter what your body looks like, if that makes sense. So Um, but I think a big thing here, like, like you had mentioned two sides of the spectrum. So first I want to clarify, not all of my girls are small or live in a smaller body. I think that, um, 
disordered eating is going to look different on everyone. And lots of people who live in larger bodies are also struggling with food. Lots of people who live in smaller bodies are struggling with food. Doesn't matter what your body size is. You can still have the same struggles as somebody in a smaller body. You could have anorexia in a large body and not get any help for it because you're, you know, you don't look like you have anorexia, but that's Mm. still anorexia. So yeah, I don't think that your the way that your body looks can dictate how sick you really are, if that makes sense. Um, but I also don't think that health is determined by size. And that's kind of something that I wonder if, you know, when you were talking about this, you were thinking, so like, even if somebody is in a large body, you know, if their BMI is, I mean, I don't agree with BMI, but let's say by these standards, their BMI is in the higher range they can still be perfectly healthy, you know? So I don't focus on body size at all. Yes, I focus on helping somebody get to a place where they are accepting of their body and feel more comfortable in their skin. But feeling more comfortable in your skin is most likely never going to come from becoming smaller, you know? What's up team? I interrupt this broadcast to formally invite you to our live event in McKinney, Texas, Saturday, October 21st. If you are into health, fitness, and personal development, you are not going to want to miss this. We are going to have industry leading experts talking all about nutrition, health optimization, and understanding yourself because you deserve to be all that it is that you can be. So I hope to see you there for more information. Click the link below in the description. And now we'll get back into our episode. This is such a good message. And I'm really glad that you said that because I am someone who had to, once I stopped competing and once I really took a look at myself, I had to stop driving my own internal value Mm -hmm. from my aesthetics. And I had to detach that I would be better or worse, worthy of this or not worthy of these things. Like you mentioned, love or success or anything because I looked a certain way or didn't look a certain way. Right. And so once I could detach my own self-worth and my identity from my physical embodiment of this human experience that we're all in, right. That was where I found true fulfillment and acceptance of Kate as Kate for who I am, not what I do Mm -hmm. or what I look like, which gave me the most freedom. Now, I also like that you said, and actually I, I need to bring back my assumption and apologize because there are many people who are in different sizes that are healthy or unhealthy, right? When I was super shredded, people looked up to me and thought I was this, you know, super disciplined athlete or whatever. I was 100% unhealthy mentally, Mm -hmm. internally, physically, emotionally. Mm -hmm. That was not health. It looked nice and I could pose for a picture, right? And that would get a lot of validation for, 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 you know, social media sake, but I was not healthy. And on the other side of the spectrum, right, there are people who might be judged as unhealthy, but if you took a look under the hood, you would Mm -hmm. see they're significantly more healthy, certainly more than I was when I was at my leanest. And we think Mm -hmm. that is a beautiful way to convey what it is that you want to see for people is truly detaching their self-worth from their current body whatever that might look like for them. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious because you mentioned that people struggle with their relationship with food on either side of the coin, right? On any side of the spectrum. 
what do you find as far as commonalities? Cause I get this a lot from clients who will say, I wish like I have one client and I won't drop her name, but she definitely has struggled with a very restrictive past. She had an eating disorder. She went through therapy, did all the things. Um, and so now we're focusing on her focusing on getting strong, right. And breaking some of the beliefs that she had around food, getting food freedom. I mean, she hadn't had cake with her son and he was turning eight mm-hmm. in all eight years because she wouldn't let herself eat cake and she has three kids. So, mm-hmm. um, she had cake for the first time on her son's birthday with him. And like, that mm-hmm. was a huge fear that we had to overcome and face, but she found a lot of freedom, just giving herself permission to do that and saw that there was no negative consequence to that per- by being present in that moment. So I'm curious on what underlying themes do you see commonality between both sides? Because people tend to speculate the grass is greener. I wish I just had to gain weight, right? Or I wish I just had to lose weight. That would be easier, right? Every, I've heard that from both sides of the coin with people that I've worked with is I wish I had this problem, but I wish I had this problem. And truly it's not easy on either side of the coin. Both of them have their own hard and both of them have their own limiting beliefs and struggles and fears that they have to overcome. So I'm curious if you find any underlying fears or patterns or themes with people that struggle with objectively looking at them physically, right? They're different physically, but mentally, emotionally, and the food relationships that they have are actually underlying very similar. Yeah. I think that with all of my clients, the underlying relationship with food is the same, no matter what their body size looks like. And this is, this is where it's like, And I just wish that everybody understood this. And it's like the hardest thing to get through people's minds, but like you can't control your body size. And I think when you learn to accept the fact that you can't control your body size and instead you focus on the behaviors that you're having and the life you want to live, everything becomes so much easier. And that kind of circles back to the societal messages of like, oh, you need to be this size, that size. And like I said, I feel like we're changing, but maybe I only feel that way because I have filtered and curated my feed to feel that way. But that also means that there are communities of people out there who feel the same way. So yeah, I think that the underlying theme of everybody is like, I honestly feel like just about everybody struggles with their relationship with food in the same way, very restrictive. They need to eat less. They need to be smaller. That kind of thing needs, need to have more muscle. They need to look like this. They need to change their body. That's the underlying theme is everyone feels like they need to change their body, no matter what they look like. And what we need to shift that belief to is you don't have the ability to change your body. Like your body, your weight, your size is determined by genetics and you do not have the ability to manipulate that. I think that that is something that I, I, I don't know if I a hundred percent agree though. I like, okay, the, I, like I know the why you don't a hundred percent agree. I like so, the idea. The reason, okay. The reason you don't a hundred percent agree is this idea of like, you can gain muscle mass by lifting weights in a certain way. And I agree. I think that you absolutely can change your, but that's the thing is like, it's not going to be some like extreme amount But I do think that you can shape your body by lifting weights and doing that kind of thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as you are doing it for the right intentions. But at the same time, it's like, unless you can sustain the amount that you're lifting, you're not going to sustain that muscle mass either. So again, kind of going back to like, what's the lifestyle you want to live? How many days a week do you want to spend weight training? Do you even want to weight train or do you want to do some other form of strength training even though it doesn't shape your body in a certain way. 
kind of thing. So you do have a lot less control over the way that you look than you think. And I think when you accept that, it gets easier to appreciate and get to this place eventually of body appreciation or body positivity, whatever you kind of want to say. But yes, I do agree that by strength training, you can increase your muscle mass and change your body in a quote unquote healthy way. I don't think that any other form of manipulation like dieting or whatever it may be or overtraining is a healthy way to then change your body. So I think that the point is like you do have the ability to change your body, but changing your body isn't going to be maintainable or sustainable. And it's probably not going to bring you what you thought it would, that love, the happiness, the worthiness, the success, all the things. Yeah, no, I love this. I, and I honestly love, um, I love being able to think out loud with different angles and perspectives Mm -hmm. on things. So I think on one side of the coin, I agree. So I actually very much agree with what you said. Um, Mm -hmm. My pushback on that was, well, you actually can change your body composition if you want to. However, right. The desired outcome that you have and the amount of sacrifice that you'll have to make, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally to achieve that thing might cost you more than it's worth in the end. Right. Exactly. It's like the unsustainable factor of it. Like your, is it worth it? That's the thing. And most of the time, 99, hundred percent of the time, it's probably not going to be worth it because it doesn't really matter that much. Like the way you look just doesn't matter, you know, especially if it's taking away from your life and living your life and being able to do all of the things that you want to do. And even your health. Like I remember just like you, when I was competing and the smallest that I had ever been, my, my fasting blood glucose was also 280. What? Yeah. Like I was so unhealthy. Now we're good. We're all good. All is well after I gained weight. That's also another thing. I never thought that I would be accepting of my body 30 pounds heavier than my smallest weight. So it's like, yeah, it just can takes that, takes that continuous work to like get to that place of body acceptance. So even though I'm still, you know, kind of in a smaller body, if you told me five years ago that I could be happy at this weight, I would have died. So how did, now I just want to blow that up. So like, how did you, you've gained 30 pounds from your leanest. So for context and and for people to understand this, this doesn't mean, um, that Addison was healthy at this lower weight. She was entirely shredded. Obviously you just heard her fasting blood glucose, which is alarming. So you were very, very shredded and then you gained, but typically most, again, prep coaches would say in your off season, you want to maintain 10 to 15 pounds over your stage weight, right? So you doubled that, right? And so when you went through that journey and you let go and you put on this weight, how the fuck did you handle that mentally? Because I know for me, I am... Yeah. About 20, 20 pounds over my stage weight. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was very difficult for me, um, to initially manage, right. Mm -hmm. Once I told myself, you're going to stick this out and you're going to commit to that and let go for at least a year. Like, and I committed to that. It was hard, but I was committed to doing that. It got a lot easier, but initially the first time you put on pants that don't fit, or the first time you put on a bathing suit, you're like, that doesn't look that great. Or you have to buy new clothes because the ones, your jeans don't fit you anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. 
how the fuck did you manage that? And how do you speak to women who do have to buy new clothes and do need to kind of size up? And that's a mental, like, that is one of the hardest things. It's like, I've really let myself go. My fucking jeans don't fit. Like mm. that for me was like, I remember I was so distraught. It's like, what the fuck do I do? Like, mm. I don't know that I want to go up in another pant size. But again, I was, when I thought about why I felt that way, it was because I was determining my own inherent value from my pant size, which mm. was silly when you boil it down and you make mm. that the point and you have that point of clarity of like, well, I feel like I'm unattractive because I have to buy new pants. Like, is that mm-hmm. actually true? I can say transparently, I get hit on way more now than I did when I was bodybuilding, <laughs> right? So that belief is actually broken just from life experience. But initially when you're in your own head and you don't want to go outside and you're afraid that people will notice that your pants are really tight. Like, I just, I'm so curious on like, how did you mentally and emotionally manage that period of your life? Yeah. So actually I, after I was done competing, I think I was about 45 or 50 pounds above stage weight. So I had gained a lot of weight. And then I talk about this in my program, but you know, you have that overshoot time because your body is in a famine. And then it's like the survival mechanism, all of these things, I won't go into it. But then after really trusting this process and finding food freedom, healing my relationship with food, and this doesn't happen for everybody, but I did drop down, but yes, I'm still, you know, where I'm at now is definitely, you know, my set weight kind of thing. Um, And I think during that time it was, it took me a lot longer to find, you know, body acceptance and food freedom than it does my girls because I didn't ask for help. And I think that if I would have asked for help, I wouldn't have suffered so much. Um, And a lot of my journey was like you had said, going back and forth between like tracking and not tracking and weighing myself and not weighing myself and doing the thing and not doing the thing instead of just going and staying the course. And that's kind of why I do what I do because the hardest part is just doing it and support, having that support through it. And I think when you do have that support, a place to come to just cry and vent and talk to somebody who gets it, that is where you're going to find the, I wouldn't say the easier route, but it's just, it's so much faster to get there, even though it is really hard. So yeah, with weight gain, kind of how to handle weight gain is that that's kind of what you're asking is I think specifically with clothing, all of my girls go through this. And I think the best thing you can do at first is one, not spend money on a whole new wardrobe, because that is just going to eventually be possibly eventually be a waste because you have no idea where your body is going to hang out at. So I think the best thing you can do is wear the clothes that you have that do fit, that are comfortable, stick to those. The next best thing you can do is make sure you're, when you do buy things, buy a limited amount, like maybe you buy one pair of jeans and a couple tops and that's it and stick to those. Um, Comfort is really key. The next thing, I mean, there's a lot of things here when it comes to, you know, dealing with weight gain and body image tips. But I think you have to know that it's going to take time to feel comfortable in your skin. Again, you're not going to be able to go from super lean to gaining 30, 40, 50 pounds And then expect yourself the next day to feel comfortable in your skin. 
that's a big change. And our bodies do not like big changes. Our minds do not like big changes. Every time something changes in your life, your brain freaks out, right? Okay. But as you continue going through the journey and you get more comfortable in the body that you're in, you get more used to the body that you're in. It doesn't seem so scary. You don't view yourself in such a negative lens. Um, I mean, that goes into like, you also have to work on how you're speaking to yourself, what you're saying to yourself. You know, there's lots of other things there, but I think the biggest thing is time. Yes, doing the work, but also giving yourself time to just get used to your new body. Like if I were, let's say I was stage lean tomorrow, like yesterday, and then today I woke up at my size, I would have a panic attack. But now that I've been where I'm at for the past couple of years, I am so beyond comfortable in my skin. So it's just, it's the one thing that people don't want to bite. It's the one thing that is fundamentally true with any journey that people don't want to accept. And that is time, consistency, and patience, mm-hmm. right? Regardless of what path you're trying to walk down, it's like you have to be committed and consistent in your efforts. Yeah. You have to execute to the best of your ability based on where you're at. And then you have to be patient enough to stay the course, regardless of how you feel on any given day with what you are experiencing, right? Good or bad to Mm -hmm. continue to execute in alignment with what you truly want in the end. Yeah. And I think a lot of people view this, this journey of finding their intuitive selves with food as like instant gratification. And they've always been taught like, you know, you need to do the hard thing now. And they feel that the hard thing now is dieting and doing the thing. But like I said at the beginning, like this is the hardest thing you can possibly do. All of my girls who have gone through this journey, they all say going through this journey is 10 times harder than sticking to a diet. It is because you want to go back time and time again. But at the end of the day, you're going to have that end result you want of food freedom, of true health of happiness, of not placing yourself worth into your body, of actually doing things that fill you up and fill your cup instead of just weighing out your food and not be your only hobby. So, and the gym and things of that sort. So yeah, I think that a lot of people go into this journey and they're like, you know, expecting, not necessarily expecting instant gratification, but they don't go into this journey because they're like, oh, I need to not eat the cupcake or not eat the donut because that's instant gratification when at the end of the day, it's like, it's really not because you're learning how to make these foods normal and find your balance. And at the end of the day, like instant gratification is not a thing in this journey because you are waiting for that end result of being with your true intuitive self. Yeah. And I think in just in general, in any endeavor, right? If there is a quick fix that is offered to you, it's probably bullshit, right? If the passive least resistance is likely the most unfulfilling one. Right. So it's like when you give into those immediate impulses to hit, get that dopamine spike or feel that gratification that you desire the most, it's like, if you can delay that, the reward is significantly more grand in experience then the short-term instant gratification or scarcity might be if you buy into that emotional state in the forefront of your immediate future. And it's like kind of what you had asked me before about going back to tracking. It's that urge to go back to tracking is going, that's instant gratification. This urge of pushing it out and 
actually continuing the journey, that is going to get you where you want to be, even though it's hard, like always do the hardest thing, you know, that's kind of ties back into the whole fear thing. Like if it's fearful, that's what you got to do. You're not going to do something just because you're more comfortable with it. Yeah, absolutely. Addison, this was fantastic. I appreciate your time. This message was good as I knew it would be, Um, but (laughs) please let everybody know where they can find you. And I see that you're working on something. I don't know if you've released it yet, but. So you can find me on Instagram at Addison Barnhart with just one D. Um, Send me DMs, message me. If you have any questions, I'm always, um, not always in my DMs, but I will always get back to you. And then, yeah, I'm working on exciting things. I actually have two really big projects coming up, saving the best for last though. So that should be, this first project should be released this month in May. And then my next big project will be released in mm, end of June, closer to July. We will see maybe mid-July. But yeah, something that I've, both of these things are things that I've wanted to do for a really long time. So I'm happy that I'm finally doing them, even though it was so hard and fearful and scary, we are doing it. Um, So all ties in, actually, when I made the decision to work on these projects, I was like, maybe I just won't because it feels safer. And then I was like, nope, I'm not doing that out of fear anymore. Like we're just going to go for it. Like we're not, we're not going to stay comfortable. So here we are working on two big projects that have literally been the most amazing, but also overwhelming thing I've ever done in my life. So yeah, that's coming, um, before August, hopefully July, July, they should be here. So yeah. Okay. Well, I will stay tuned because I cannot wait to see what it is. I'm very excited for you. And, uh, I'll leave you with that. Addison, thank you so much for your time today and I'll talk to you very soon. Thank you for having me. Bye.